Welcome to Nutrition for Life, the podcast that goes beyond your plate, brought to you by Herbalife Nutrition. My name's Carol Walker, and in each episode, I'll be speaking to guests from right across Europe to explore some of the biggest topics in the world of nutrition and food, from food waste, safety and sustainability, to the rise of plant-based protein alternatives, dieting, food labeling, and how our gender influences our food choices. We've got it all for you in this series. Coming up in this episode, we're talking about the rising cost of food right across Europe, According to the market research company Kantar, the price of the average shopping basket in the UK has gone up almost £600 a year, and essentials like milk and butter are amongst the items going up in price at the fastest rate. But it's not just us, the consumers, who are under pressure. All the way through the chain, costs are rising, from farmers feeling the pinch as fertiliser prices increase, to the producers being squeezed by our demand for cheaper products. So what's behind the rise and what impact is it having on our health? My guests today are James Walton, Chief Economist at the Institute of Grocery Distribution. They provide insight to the grocery industry. Hello, James. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Good to have you with us. Also joining us is Giles Yeo, an obesity and diet expert from Cambridge University. Hello, Giles. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Good to have you with us. And David Bowles is from the German branch of the Salvation Army. David, hello. Good day. Nice to be with you. Before we speak to all of our guests, producer Steve Bland has been out and about to find out how these shoppers have been cutting the costs of their weekly shop. I tried to like meal plan. Buy. I buy usually the same things, a lot of uh, fresh fruits and all of that. And uh, I'm a student, so I buy a lot of like um, cheap uh, ingredients like pasta and uh, so I can make like salads and uh, also like typical pasta. And uh, yeah, I've been just uh, like being more mindful about uh, what I'm buying and what the price is. We tend to go to Costco. Uh, we buy all our meat from Costco, so all our fresh meat. So we tend to freeze it so we can take it out of the freezer as and when. So we do quite a bit of batch cooking and things like that. So that's how we've kind of saved money that way. And I've been making sure to only shop in Aldi and also writing out um, a weekly plan of meals so I don't overbuy stuff and then I don't waste food also. I've not really been putting back my costs at all really. I've just spent a lot of money. Sainsbury's overpriced. I start shopping at Aldi though. If it was cutting yeah, back. Aldi and Lidl. Aldi and Lidl. The one to go to for mm. savings. I eat at work a lot more now because I get free food at work. Um, James, let me start with you. Um, just explain what's going on. How rapidly are food prices rising? And I mean, what is the what is behind it? Well, in August of this year, um, food prices were up about 13 uh, percent year on year, which is exceptionally quick for the UK. I mean, in the UK, typically food price inflation actually runs behind 
the general cost of living. So it's very unusual to see a spike like this. Um, this wave of higher food prices and actually higher inflation in general has its roots, I think, probably as far back as summer of 2021. So it's been brewing for a while. And over that time, we've seen um, business costs coming up and up across quite a broad front. Um, that, again, is unusual because typically when you look at the cost of running a food business, some things will be going up, some things might be coming down. But at the moment, it's very hard to think of anything that's getting cheaper within the food supply chain. The drivers vary a little bit depending on exactly you know what sort of food you're talking about. But I think the common things that we can pull out are, first of all, a shortage of workers. That affects every part of the food system and therefore, of course, the cost of labour goes up. Secondly, um, higher energy costs. And of course, energy costs feeds into the system at every level. Um, the food system is very, very uh, energy intensive. It takes roughly seven calories of energy to deliver one calorie of food to the shopper. So as the cost of oil and gas go up, of course, the cost of food has to come up as well. Um, drought in Europe affecting food availability. And obviously, we've had an exceptional year this year. Um, war in Ukraine which has taken a huge amount of food out of the global food system. And finally, of course, money supply. You know, the, the global money supply has expanded hugely over uh, the course of the last couple of years. And of course, the more money that's in circulation, the more inflationary the economy tends to be. Well, certainly shoppers here in the UK and right across Europe are noticing those prices going up and up. And Giles, what sort of effect is that having on our health uh, and the, whether we're getting the right nutrition or whether we're making unhealthy or healthy choices? It, it's, a, it's an excellent question. So even before this cost of living crisis has, has actually hit, the, the, the bottom quintile of society socioeconomically are twice as likely to end up with obesity and other diet-related illnesses as the top quintile of society, us here speaking, just, just put in, in, in plain language, okay? Twice as likely. And there is no genetic difference between rich and poor. It's an accident of birth. A large part of it is down to um, uh, uh, cash. It's down to time. But at the end of the day, they are eating poorer quality foods because poorer quality foods tend to be cheaper than the higher quality foods that we can afford and choose to have. This is before the cost of living crisis. Now you've got everything that James is telling you about, these 10% rises. What this is going to do is just to exacerbate the situation. And so uh, uh, the poorest in society are either not going to have enough food or when they have uh, uh, and, and get, get the food, it is going to be of poorer quality, nutritionally poor, poor, uh, poor, poorer quality. So what this is going to do is exacerbate the situation. And David, you are presumably working with or trying to help some of the poorest in society. How is this cost of living crisis affecting your work and the people that you're trying to help? Yeah, I've been giving some thought to that. Uh, actually, the people that we are, are serving uh, on the street wouldn't be going to a grocery store anyway. Um, their food comes from uh, donations from other organizations and, of course, the Salvation Army. We go out three times a week with our food truck. And uh, But what, it, what is going to happen is uh, our costs are going up significantly, and we are solely uh, dependent on, on donations. So as people um, have this rise in costs, they're going to donate less. We haven't seen it yet, but we're anticipating it, and we're making provision for that. 
and uh, and then we're going to have to uh, be careful because we we uh, ninety percent of the food that we use to make soup or whatever we're we're providing people uh, we purchase. So uh, it's it's going to it's going to hit us as well. So you're literally going out on the streets and uh, distributing food to people who otherwise can't afford to make sure that they've got what they need to live. Yeah, any anywhere from seniors who uh, just are fixed income and just can't make ends meet. Um, several of those, but a lot of uh, folks struggling with uh, addictions and, uh, and literally living in tents right where we where we stop our truck. Uh, just to build on that point, um, we do shopper research every month, talking to a thousand people each uh, every four weeks here in the UK. And in our latest month of research, we found that about 11% of households said that they anticipated using a food bank within the next couple of weeks. That is astonishing. As you would expect, it is much more prevalent amongst the least affluent. But even people in the very um, in the most affluent AB social categories, a lot of them also anticipated that they would have to go to a food bank as well. So, you know, even relative affluence is not protecting people entirely from food price inflation. And Giles, I guess if people are going to food banks, they're perhaps more likely to be um, getting tinned and preserved food rather than the fresh food, which in an ideal world they'd be eating. So, I mean, just just to, 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 to be clear, not all tinned food is going to be bad for you. Tinned vegetables are going to be perfectly healthy. But there are going to be certain foods with very, very long shelf lives, okay? And and so therefore tend to be ultra, ultra processed that are not going to be great for you. Certainly not going to be great for you at... Um, at large at large quantities but if it's your if it's suddenly gone from being something you eat every so often to being your primary source of fuel because you have no choice because that's what you do what you're going to do is it's going to be exacerbate health inequalities and that's and that's the problem um james what we've seen is that uh, a lot of basic foods are rising in price very quickly and things like milk and butter and dairy products why are we seeing uh things like dairy products increasing in price so much which of course are important especially for for kids as they're growing up and so on Uh, well there's a couple of factors behind that um any animal based food um the price will always be driven very strongly by fodder um so as you would imagine um yeah, the, the price of grain is quite a small part of the price of a loaf of bread, but it's a very large price of part of the price of a chicken, for example, or an egg. Um, so certainly the cost of fodder. Secondly, the cost of transport. So transport is getting more and more expensive. And short life products have to be transported frequently in small batches. Finally, of course, you've got the cost of refrigeration. And you know, cold air is expensive. Frozen air is incredibly expensive. And these are all things that will feed into the cost of running any transport distribution or storage operation uh, or retail operation. Um, David, that's presumably affecting your operation, isn't it? If it costs you more to get your trucks um, out and about, um, that's going to feed into um, the, the, the costs of keeping your operation going. Sure. And, and um, in fact, uh, in Germany, and you've probably read this in the news, uh, it's not just the, the food, it is the transport, as you've mentioned, but it's also the preparation of the food, uh, gas and electricity. It, it, these prices are going up significantly. So it all plays a part of the, of the whole package. And Giles, um, those energy costs um, presumably are going to mean that people are perhaps less inclined to be cooking fresh food from scratch. Um, it's all very well if you can 
you know, buy a potato is still relatively cheap. Um, but if you're going to have a baked potato, you're not going to want to have your oven on for the best part of an hour to, to cook a potato. Does that mean that people are perhaps more likely to turn to the kind of ready meals that they can pop in the microwave for a couple of minutes, even though they're perhaps not as good nutritionally um, and perhaps, you know, more likely to be full of um, high levels of salt and um, and additives and so on. So not not perhaps. I think this 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 is happening. So I know people who work within with, within the food industry. I know people who study um, 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 the food industry and patterns of, of actually people um, buying stuff. And this is undoubtedly true. That look, if you're going to be able to use only 30 seconds, one minute, five minutes of electricity from your microwave compared to turning on your oven for, for, for an hour to bake something, that is that is going to be one of the things that people are taking into account. And once again, the problem is not microwave foods per se. I don't want to say, you know, and, and judge people's food choices. The problem is these ultra processed foods that, that, that are by definition, this is what's going to happen. They tend to be lower in protein and fiber and so and higher in sugar, salt and fat. So uh, you don't want to eat a ton of it all, all, all the time, but people are not having a choice. You have no choice. And so what are we going to do to fix this? So how, how are we going to try and fix this? Yeah, and James, um, it does appear as though, um, from everything we're hearing, you know, it is those um, the, the poorest in society who are suffering worst. Are, are you seeing this kind of widening of the social and economic divide, which was there, and which got worse during the pandemic, and now this rising cost of food is perhaps le- increasing that divide still further? Well, I, I think it is in the nature of... Um powerful inflation events that they do tend to uh, cause a, uh, a polarization of society. So a lot of people who you would expect to be in the middling class tend to be pushed downwards as a result of high living costs and that the middle ground kind of gets hollowed out, if you like. So you have issues of social and economic um, mobility. But our Shop Vista data does show that the cost of living crisis is affecting people um, across the board. So it's all levels of affluence, all ages, all geographies. It's it's a societal thing um, at this point. And that presumably, David, is going to mean that there will be increasing numbers of people who perhaps were giving money to, to operations like yours or to food banks who are just simply not going to be able to afford to do that or to to give as much as they were. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, we're going to have to look at it as a couple of issues. Uh, how do we secure uh, the food that we need to, uh, to meet the needs of the people? Right now, it's based on uh, financial donation. We are probably going to open up to food um, itself, uh, hard food to, to, to be donated so that we can use that. And we'll be making specific lists. What we will not do is we will not decrease our the quality that we that we provide. Um, we cook everything uh, fresh here on our facility, and we will continue to do that. And in fact, as you're mentioning, with the possibility and the anticipation of uh, greater numbers, we are looking at increasing our operations. Even so you think you'll be able to do that to to cope with the increased need, despite the, the difficulties getting hold of the. The, the supplies potentially. Yeah, I, I can only say that it, Germ, Germans are very um, uh, situational uh, donators. 
when when there's a crisis, they do step up. And and I'm sure that when we um, see that this thing really hits the fan for us, uh, we make a, a plea that the Germans will will make sure that we have what we need. James, what about um, the measures to try to tackle this cost of living crisis, or to at least make it affordable? Um, other ways that the government could or should be intervening to try to um, prevent this becoming a real crisis over the winter? There are various things that the government has done to try to um, ease the supply of, of, of food in the UK. So, for example, they've provided special support to keep um, fertiliser plants and CO2 plants and that sort of thing running, which is, of course, really, really helpful. And um, looking ahead, it seems that there will be reviews of um, certain policy measures, you know, with them perhaps being simplified or delayed, again, in order to make business simpler and cheaper to run. Giles, how would you advise people who are struggling to make ends meet, but still want to try to maintain a healthy diet for themselves and their families? I mean, what's what's the best approach? I mean, are there still foods that are not going up in price quite so much that are still pretty good for us that we could be eating a bit more of. So I think I think there are. So I think one has to be pragmatic. I could say everyone go out and buy hummus and carrots. Look, let's just so 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 I think there are going to be foods within certain classes that you can make better choices on than others. Whatever whatever it is. And I would focus on two elements. Um, three possibly, but let's just go with two whenever you're trying to pick something tinned, frozen or otherwise. Pick something with the highest amount of protein that you can see. Just turn to the back of the pack and look and pick something with the highest amount of fiber. Then if you want to start to think about, then maybe think about the lower sugar as well. But if you focus on protein and fiber, even say between two tin items or two frozen items, then you are already making the slightly better choice even though you're choosing exactly the same class class of food, protein and fiber. Focus on that um, when, when, you're, when you're trying to choose foods, even amongst tin, frozen uh, uh, and processed foods. Yeah, I mean, how conscious are you, David, of trying to make sure that whatever you can afford to provide for people is, I mean, as nutritious and healthy as it possibly can be? Yeah, I, I'm not in the kitchen myself, but I, I do watch the deliveries. We, we have in, in Germany what's called the Tafel. It is an organization right across the country that uh, picks up uh, day-old food from uh, grocery stores so that individual groups like us don't have to do that anymore. And then they bring it uh, actually once a week to, to our door and we can choose. So we are choosing uh, fresh vegetables and fresh fruits and uh, making sure that that is the case. We are trying to purchase um, things that are frozen that are that have no additives that are not processed so uh, we do only choose frozen vegetables and frozen meats that are already uh, pre-cut etc but uh, no additives and, and we make sure of that yeah um, and uh, James we are already seeing consumers changing their behavior aren't they and, and switching to uh, the cheaper supermarket chains and switch switching to uh, the cheaper products in the supermarkets in particular those those basic um, lines which the supermarkets, to be fair to them, are, are trying to um, provide as much as they can food that is affordable. That, that's a really quite a big shift going on, isn't it? Yes, I mean, supermarkets are, are fully aware of the, the pressures that their, their clients are facing. And there's a couple of things that they can do. Um, 
the first thing to do is to maintain availability, particularly um, at the lower end of the price range. So most supermarkets will offer what they call price architecture. So if you imagine um, the pasta range in your local supermarket, you can buy the value pasta or the middling pasta or the high-end handmade Italian pasta. So what they will try to do is to offer a number of different price points. But availability at the bottom end of that is critical because if the cheapest item in the range isn't available, there may be a big step up to the next one, which a lot of people, unfortunately, um, might find uh, very difficult to afford. So maintaining availability at the bottom end, I think, absolutely critical. And I think the second thing is to provide um, guidance and assistance for people. And probably the most um, notable example of that is uh, Marks and Spencer, which is running a uh, campaign at the moment called uh, Remarkable Value with a, a chef called Tom Kerridge. And that, I think, is quite unusual for Marks and Spencer because historically it's always tended to favour um, sort of higher priced, um, really uh, convenient and high quality foods. So to do something that's more price orientated is quite a significant um, shift for them. But they have teamed up with a, a chef who actually has a track record of trying to push um, uh, better food choices at lower prices for those shoppers who need them. I think he's previously te teamed up with uh, Marcus Rashford as well. Yeah, it's fascinating to see the, the supermarkets really trying to do their bit on this. But Giles, we know we've got a big um, obesity problem in this country and right across Europe. And although you might superficially think, well, if food's too expensive, people are going to eat less. Um, there's a worry, isn't there, that instead of that, they just eat things that are not that are actually going to make them more prone to obesity that, that's exactly right so so you know not it's obviously a generalization but foods I, i'm a believer that there are no foods that are bad for you per se they're just some foods you can eat loads of and some foods you don't want to eat loads of the problem is foods that you don't want to eat loads of tend to be cheaper and so as you drive people towards the lower and i'm not talking about pasta okay i'm not talking about tin goods either i'm talking about a whole lot of uh, other stuff then who are you to blame? You're trying to get calories for your kids, right? And, and, and yourself. And so you're going to force them towards unhealthier foods. So I think what we got to do as a society, look, I'm just going to put this out here. Poverty is a political choice. Okay, this is just my, my, my opinion. Um, yes, there is no magical money tree, but people, but the governments are picking and choosing what to spend their money on. I think we should be spending our limited resources on making the healthier choice the cheaper choice. So in other words, if you are forced down a route to buy something, that automatically you are picking the healthier choice. And if people like us that can afford to buy the unhealthy foods, we can go to continue to do that. That's the only way, I think, to equitably handle uh, um, um, this, this food crisis, uh, this cost of living crisis, and not exacerbate the risks for obesity. Yeah, and I mean, David, just give us a little bit of insight into the way that um, the German government is approaching this cost of living crisis. Um, I mean, is it taking measures that are that are going to help some of the poorest in society? I know there are sort of a lot of messages out there telling people to reduce their energy use, but but what are they doing in terms of trying to make sure that there's enough food for people and, and at prices they can afford? Uh, I must I must say I haven't seen any. Um any uh, subsidy or support for from the food perspective. Uh, just yesterday, we paid our people here, and uh, those who are on the bottom end of the, of the pay scale, um, those who are students, uh, have all received uh, this month a 300 euro subsidies to cover 
um, increased or anticipated increased uh, energy costs this winter. So that, that just came out yesterday. So there are other initiatives, um, but I haven't seen anything directly related to food. And uh, James, we're hearing that the government's uh, put on hold its entire anti-obesity strategy. And I mean, there were there was a lot of talk of um, a, a ban on these multi-buy deals on foods that are considered junk food. Um, we, we've already had a bit of a sugar tax, but the government seems to be moving away from all of that. And how is that affecting the supermarkets, do you think? I think that um, what's, what any business wants is clarity and certainty as to what the future holds. So what really wastes a lot of money and a lot of effort is, is sudden reversals or lack of clarity. And unfortunately, on things like the new promotional rules for um, what's called HFSS, that's high fat salt sugar foods, a lot of supermarkets have already done a huge amount of work to rework and relay their stores. Um in order to meet with the new requirements. And of course, with the requirements now put on hold, unfortunately, that may feel like wasted effort. But, you know, I, I think the government is fully aware that um, the health of the nation is a, a a financial consideration. You know, we have socialised healthcare. So the government, I'm sure, will return to the idea of uh, healthier diets and better nutrition as soon as they can. I am very, I'm very concerned. I think it's, it's, it's a false economy because what's going to happen is that, that it's all about nudging people to, 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 to make choices. And at the bottom of society where people lack choices, you got to make sure that they have the healthier choices. And all of this, um, a, a lot of the buy one, get one free elements, they're not done on broccoli and they're not done on hummus. That's just, just, just is not, okay? They're done on the foods that have that, that have a higher shelf life. And so you're forcing people to actually make choices that they otherwise may not want, may not want to make and driving them into further illness, therefore costing the government more. Whereas if you can actually have a shift in terms of making some of the healthier options, and once again, I'm not talking, you know, at the lower end, you're, you're talking about some of the healthier options, make those cheaper, then people will have a have, have a better have a better chance of actually of actually doing that. Look, obesity and other illnesses are a public health problem. They will need public health solutions, um, and so the government needs to listen. The government needs to listen to evidence based uh, rather than just thinking on short term bottom lines, which are not going to help. James, let me just ask you to gaze into your crystal ball. Um, clearly, there are a lot of uncertainties. No one knows exactly what's going to happen with the war in Ukraine and so on, but. If you were looking ahead six months or a year into next year, is this cost of food going to continue to rise or are we going to reach a plateau, do you think? Or are there signs that maybe by next summer things might start to come down in price? Okay, well, inflation, of course, is very hard to sustain for a long period simply because of... uh, you know, the, the mathematical effect. So once you get past a year, it's very hard to sustain year-on-year cost increases and things start to level off. Um, I, I think that the things that are driving inflation at the moment will eventually start to dissipate. So hopefully we will see, you know, an end to the war. We'll see more energy, more food being made available to global markets. We might see better growing weather in Europe next year. Um, so... Hopefully, at least some of the the, the uh, supply side pressures will start to dissipate and inflation will level off. 
flat inflation doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as negative inflation, of course. So just because prices have leveled off doesn't mean that food's actually going to become cheaper. But if we look to history, the last time we had a really powerful period of, of, of food price inflation, which was around 2008 to 2012, we actually saw a downward price correction afterwards. So, so what happened is that prices went up by about 30% in five years at, at that time. And then in the following three years, they came down by five. And that was probably about as far as reductions in production cost would allow. So my, if I look into my crystal ball, what I think is going to happen is that retail buyers have a really good idea of the costs that their suppliers face. It's what makes them really great um, uh, negotiators. So they will look at the costs that their, their producers are facing. And as those costs come down, they will demand price cuts. And they will try to push prices back down again as quickly as possible. And they'll go as far as, as, as market dynamics will allow. At the same time, I think businesses also need to make sure that those people who might have fallen into food poverty and, and bad food choices can be pulled back out again as quickly as possible because we don't want bad food choices to get embedded as habit. They have to be reversed if, if we can. And Giles, just briefly, um, would you like to see that even while we're going through what we hope will be just the worst of this before things get better, that there's extra help to people to eat the healthy foods if they possibly can? Yes, yes. And and I think there are ways of doing healthy without without doing expensive. And I think it's just making sure that we think slightly more creative about this. People, There are people out there who know what they're doing. Um, and who know what the healthier options are, even at the at, at the at the lower price point. And these are people that should be brought into the discussion, um, um, you know, so, sooner rather than later. David, are you just very concerned about getting through this winter? Is that going to be um, a bit of a crisis for you? Well, the indicators are that it's going to be difficult. So yeah, I, I think uh, we just want to be ready and prepared as much as we possibly can. So that means making sure that uh, donations are coming in and that. Uh, we can actually buy the food that, that, that people need, um, not necessarily uh, the cheapest on the, on the shelf. Yeah. David and Giles and James, thank you all so much for joining us today. And of course, thank you to you for listening to this episode of Nutrition for Life, which has been brought to you by Herbalife Nutrition. Check out Herbalife Nutrition at IamHerbalifeNutrition.com for more information. And if you have any questions or thoughts you want to share on anything you've heard in this podcast, or if you'd like to join in the conversation on social media, just use the hashtag Nutrition for Life. And do please join us again for another episode of Nutrition for Life, the podcast that goes beyond your plate.